This podcast is in partnership with the Black and Gold Production Sports Media Company and can be found on all major podcast platforms, including the BNG Podcast Network at blackandgoldhockey.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the Beehive Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Howard. I'm here joined by my co-host, Alex Goyette. Hi, everyone. And we're going to hop into some Bruins topics for you guys today. We're recording here on Monday night after the Bruins' 3-2 victory in overtime by a sweet, sweet move by Hall for the overtime, overtime winner. Excuse me. Um, some things we're going to be talking about tonight are how Hall's been playing as Bruin. Kasha's return and fall back to injury. Uh, what this playoff matchup's going to look like against Washington. Has Wagner fallen out with Bruce Cassidy? I know he played tonight, but I want to touch on that a little bit. And uh, Jake DeBrus' play after his recent healthy scratch. I think he's been playing pretty great and just want to give him some props and shout outs, even though he hasn't been putting the puck in the net like everyone's wanted. Um, he's still doing all the little things that he needs to to uh, elevate his game to the next level. So what do you think? What do you have first? Well, we'll start off with how Hall's been playing. I think he's <laughs> been playing great. What does he have, 13 points now? Um, I think so. I mean, and he just started the team. If you look at other people who have been on the team for longer, yeah. I mean, he's putting up the points. Yeah, he's he's doing what's being asked of him, and uh, that's a tough thing for a guy that comes over in the trade deadline. Sometimes it takes a while for a guy to find their rhythm and their confidence, but it, it was almost kind of polar opposite because Hall was coming in from buffalo with zero confidence mm-hmm. and now he looks like he's he's the, ready to go yeah he's the most confident guy in the world like it's almost like he's he was already part of the team before he was part of the team hall's so good with just put it passing it through the leg and oh, just yeah. deking. like he did it yeah. tonight yeah he passed it through and then he went through the goalie's legs and got the overtime goal yeah i know that play was so nice he has this it's almost like he has this little tap move that he just so subtly taps it under and it's like the going yeah 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 and he just subtly taps it under the player's stick and just skates right around them like it's nothing like it's such a weird move you think it'd be easy easily defended but he makes it look easy <laughs> yeah he's just so good it's like the Bruins have to find any way to re-sign him this season and if they do that then they have to re-sign Krejci mm-hmm. because you can't bring one without the other right yeah like yeah. It's just uh it's gonna be it's gonna be really weird to see this offseason because you got DeBrusque playing on the fourth line right now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they have to re-sign Richie, hopefully Hall. There's gonna be a lot of big moves that go if on. If they don't re-sign Hall. Oh, it's gonna be the biggest shit show. Fans are gonna lose their minds, honestly. Because I Boston has a weird way of dealing with like signing people. Oh yeah. Key and Tory Krug, like, mm-hmm. uh, but when you think about it this way, would you rather have Tory Krug or would you rather have Smith and Hall? Because the money that we used or like let go with Tory Krug mm-hmm. is what we used to resign Smith, and then we needed cap space to get Hall in the trade yeah. deadline. So in my eyes, it was a win-win no matter what. Also, we're getting to see some of the young defensemen play, which is also pretty awesome because. Yeah. 
The, Lazar, been, I like him. Yeah, Lazar's been playing very, really good. Uh, Zaboral hasn't played in a couple games, but Lazar's been playing really great. And we haven't seen much of Bakahainen this year, but I don't think he's quite ready in his development yet to be coming up and making the big jumps. Like, he kind of looks lost out there when he does play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to... <laughs> Kasha and his return start. I want to start out with just the return at first, because personally I, th- I thought he was playing great. Um, he took that high hit. We still at this time don't know if it was a, um, we don't know if it was an injured, like we, all we know right now, sorry, is an upper body injury. We don't know if it was concussion. We don't know if it's shoulder. It was shoulder to shoulder contact. The way he went down to the ice and popped back up, like, uh, it didn't look like he hurt his shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, it looked like it had something to do with his head. Well, let's hope that's not the case. Yeah, let's hope it's not the Kasha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But other than that, like, uh, there's lots of people online that were saying, oh, he's not going to do anything. He didn't do anything before, so why is he going to do anything now? I get it. He didn't. He hasn't produced very much as a Bruin or at all, let's say. But he drives the play. He knows where to put the puck. He knows where his guys are on the ice. He he's a very fast skater. He's not a. He's obviously not afraid to get hit. But sometimes that burns him in the ass. I just I don't know. It sucks so much. I was excited to see him get a shot, and he was playing pretty good with JD and Lazar. I thought the line had a couple of hiccups, but it lines always do at the beginning. You know when they're put together. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, I did too. Um, let's talk about Jade Debrusque. You want to talk about JD? Okay. So you're a big. J- I felt so bad for him tonight. He really wanted that goal. <laughs> yeah, he so- needs one. Yeah, so just a little bit of backstory. You're a huge Jake DeBus fan. Yes. You're big. You like Jake DeBus. You're a big JD guy. What's it been like from, you know, you don't watch all the games, but you watch as many as you can. Um, so from your point of view, what do you think with this COVID year and how weird it's been with everything, would you put a lot of weight in how everyone's saying, oh, you know, trade DeBus, career in Boston is done. It's time to move on. He's not going to be that 30 goal scorer like he used to be. What do you what do you say to that? Like what do you think about this weird COVID year? Do you think you, they should give him like Well, no, I think you have to be fair and take into consideration that, you know, COVID's a tough year. They're they're young kids. I mean, they're in their early 20s. Um so I think it's definitely different for them. None of us have experienced anything like this. And a, whole, a lot of the game is going and interacting with people and playing for the fans and then hearing them cheer, you know. And when they're not there, I feel like that definitely takes a toll on the players. So I don't think that it being COVID that we should necessarily base it off his performance. Yeah, and another thing that like I tweeted out recently um, – Jake DeBrusque is a type of guy. He's a locker room guy. You can hear him on podcasts. He loves hanging out with the boys. Like you said, he's a young guy. They're I feel all... like he gets very emotionally attached to the games when he plays. Like he you can does. see it when he plays. He has a passion for the sport, a hundred percent. He does, and he even said like it's not fun, you know, when you're struggling like this. And sometimes you just have off years. You just have bad games. It happens to everybody. Yeah, yeah, it does. And like last year, um, 
He didn't play the greatest, but he didn't have an awful year. Like the the year was shut, the year was shut down early, and it's we haven't been to anything that's close to normal since then. And I don't know. I'm just I I wouldn't put a whole lot of weight in that he's he's done. This is the player he is from here on out. You know, like mm-hmm. I still think he's that guy that can get almost thirty goals a year. You know, like he's that guy that can push us through the playoffs against Toronto in Game Seven, getting those goals that. You know, everyone doesn't want to get. He used to go in the dirty areas and go go in the corners and come out with the puck, and just doesn't seem like he's doing that anymore. Yeah, I think he could definitely get back to being that player that he was, and like you said, getting into the dirty spots and you know just being that guy. He's a honey badger. He needs to get back to being a honey badger. And I've seen a little bit of that recently, ever since his last healthy scratching. So. Let's hope the best for JD. Let's hope that he can turn this around. Wouldn't it be awesome if he just came out in the playoffs? I know. Oh, I really hope he gets a, a goal in one of the upcoming games. Yeah. Well, they got tomorrow night, which is Tuesday night against Washington. And then Saturday. And then uh, they might not play till Sun- the following Saturday because of the way that the Canadian division is right now. Yeah, it's really tough. <clears throat> All right, Chris Wagner. This is where I'm going to hop in um, and say a couple things. Chris Wagner, he signed that two-year contract. I don't know if it was a two. Yeah, it was a two-year extension two years ago. So I don't know if he's coming up for contract this year or not. But Wagner has seemed to fallen out of um, Bruce Cassidy's good books. It kind of seems like he's in the doghouse. It kind of seems like. He's the extra guy right now that it's uh, it's on him to step his game up, obviously, but I don't think he's been playing as bad as most people online have been saying lately. I think he's, you know, it's like everything this year. Like I saw uh, the GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Yaro Kikalainen, was saying that he's not putting any weight into how a lot of his younger players have played this year. And I know... I know Wagner is not the youngest player, but he's also a team guy. You know, this bottom six guys, they're, they're very much locker room guys. They're very much hang out with the boys, guys, go out for dinners, all, all that kind of stuff. So, like, I'm wondering if that's taken a big toll on some of these Bruins this year, whereas some, some of them have been able to step up to the occasion, like Jeremy Swayman, and some of them just aren't, like, can't find their game. Um Night in and night out, it's just been a struggle for them. What do you think about Wagner lately? Um, I don't know. I think that I could definitely see Wagner being in Bruce Cassidy's doghouse. He's never been one of my favorite players. Um, so that's really all I have to say on him. <laughs> <laughs> just a straight, blunt, 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 nothing left to say. Okay, so... Um, Jeremy Swayman, I know, I know, I didn't mention it at the beginning of the podcast, but see, seeing this, this being the first podcast I'm doing, we might as well talk about how crazy it is to see this kid go from college, you know, lose out of college, come play with the Bruins, have a crazy record down with and the baby Bruins, and then just come up and look like he's been in NHL like for a the past star, just yeah. show Rask up. Yeah, like it's like I, I'm not looking to get rid of Rask. Yeah, Halak has lost his spot 100%. But, you know, Swayman, it's 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 unbelievable 
to watch this kid. Like he, every play, he's smiling. No matter if someone just came down on a breakaway, mm-hmm. you know, if there's a huge scrum in front of the net, he's like always said, he's smiling. just happy. He's just happy to be there. He he's is happy to play, be a part of the team, and yeah, he's happy for his. Uh, he's just happy to be to a part be of a this. contribution to yeah. it and be a part of the family. Yeah, just being a Boston Bruin to him seems like something that he just enjoys so much. Mm-hmm. He's very, he's taken part of the culture and yeah he's not just grateful for being signed to you know an nhl team he's grateful to be a part of the bruins yeah and he always says how how awesome it's been watching tuka rask and halak play and uh learning at anything he can from them and i mean learning from rask i mean that's and just training with rask that's just something to put under your belt right there you know Oh yeah, 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 and he looks like Rask a lot in certain ways. Like when he comes what, out, what is his background? Uh, he's from Alaska. Swayman. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say I didn't think he. I yeah, thought yeah. he was Canadian. Um. No. Yeah, he's from Alaska. He's a different cat, that's for sure. But it was really tough watching. His coach was the coach I told you about that, that died this away. year. Yeah, Coach Red. Um. It was really tough on him. You could see when he got that shutout the one night, he pointed up to the sky. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's just, it's really been a joy watching him this play this year. And if that's the future of Boston goaltending right there, I'm not worried at all. Mm-hmm. I feel great. What what an under-the-radar pickup for us. And to speak on Vladar real quick, I felt so bad that he was just thrown into that game. And it he just got it fed to him. Oh, yeah. Rask was on... COVID or out on an injury and Halak was COVID protocol. Either way. Yeah, that was an 8-1 shit kicking. And I do feel bad for Vladar, but I, I... He definitely wasn't ready, but I mean, I just felt bad for the kid that he was just thrown in there like that. Yeah. And then, it's gotta be nerve-wracking, you know? He clearly wasn't ready for it. You're seeing Vladar, um, you know, he's kind of taking a back seat now. He was he was supposed to be the next guy, mm-hmm. but Swayman's just kind of come in and like how you know, how do you not have Swayman above Vladar in your depth order? Like yeah. you just have to. He's backing up Rask right now and Halak's being healthy scratch. So you can tell Bruce Cassidy's made his decision on who the two and goalies are. That's a good are. decision, I I think. Yeah. So now we're gonna go to a segment I did on Willie O'Ree, the first black hockey player in the National Hockey League. I hope everyone enjoys listening as much as I did researching this wonderful man and all his accomplishments. Without further ado, Willie O'Ree. William Eldon O'Ree, also known as the Jackie Robinson of hockey, was born on October 15, 1935 in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Willie has been honored with awards such as being named to the WHL All-Star Team, the New Brunswick Sports Hall of Fame, the Order of Canada, the San Diego Hall of Champions, the Hockey Hall of Fame, and Canada Sports Hall of Fame. He also played two seasons in the National Hockey League, but his biggest accomplishment was breaking the black color barrier. In 2018, the NHL instituted the annual Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. This recognizes the individual who has worked to make a positive impact in their community, culture, or society to make people better through the world of hockey. O'Ree was raised in a large family. He was the youngest of 13 children raised by his parents Rosebud and Harry. O'Ree's father, Harry, was a civil engineer who worked in the city's road maintenance industry. Willie's grandparents came to Canada from the United States through the Underground Railroad to escape slavery. 
Where Willie grew up, there were only two black families. Oris started playing hockey at the age of three and organized hockey at the age of five. He instantly had a passion for the game. Oris played regularly on the backyard rink of the family home and skated to school when weather permitting. This was a very common thing in Canada as I remember my mother telling me stories of her and her classmates doing the same. Every chance I had, I was on the ice, Oris recalled. I even skated to school. My dad squirted the garden hose on the backyard and we had an instant rink. I loved the feeling of the wind rushing by as I flew along the ice. I loved the sound of the spraying ice chips when I hit the brakes and spun around to charge back the other way. I loved having the puck on my stick and learning how to stick handle. The speed that I could reach on my skates when I was stick handling with the puck was like defying gravity. In the autobiography of Willie O'Ree, Hockey's Black Pioneer, Willie wrote that color was never an issue on those early rinks, stating, The fact that I was black never came up when I played as a kid. You could have been purple with a green stripe down the middle of your forehead and it wouldn't have mattered. It was only later, when I became older, that I learned about what a color barrier meant. By the time O'Ree was 15, he was playing for the Fredericton Falcons of the New Brunswick Amateur Hockey Association. But his initial visits to the States offered him a rewarding encounter with an early black sports legend, Jackie Robinson. My first trip to a big city was in 1949 to New York, O'Ree said. I played baseball in my hometown and we'd won a championship. Our reward was a trip to New York. We visited the Empire State Building, Radio City Music Hall, and I watched the Dodgers play. That's when I first met Jackie Robinson. I talked with him after the game, shook hands with him, and told him that not only did I play baseball, but I played hockey. Mr. Robertson didn't realize that there were black kids playing hockey, but I assured him there were a few. Ironically, this was just the first time that O'Ree and Robertson would meet in person. In fact, their second meeting took place about 13 years later at an NAACP luncheon in California. Mr. Robertson was in the lobby talking to some media people. And the coach of the team that I'd come with came to introduce us, O'Ree shared. Mr. Robinson said, aren't you that kid that plays hockey? I think I made an impact on him when I told him I was considering hockey as a career. He'd met so many people during that time, but he singled me out. He remembered me all those years later. Now back to Willie's hockey career. After a season with the Junior Capitals, O'Ree made a step up to the senior ranks for a full season in 1953-54. While with the Fredericton Capitals, O'Ree played in the Allen Cup Tournament where he scored 7 goals in just 7 games. By the time he was 19, O'Ree moved to Quebec and played the 54-55 season with the Quebec Frontenacs of the Quebec Junior Hockey League, where he recorded 27 goals and 17 assists for 44 points in 43 games. Now this is the part in Willie's story that amazes me the most. In 55-56, while O'Ree was playing for the Kitchener Canucks of the Ontario Hockey Association, he lost about 95% of his vision in his right eye after he was hit by a puck that also broke his nose and cheekbone. He was advised by doctors to stop playing hockey, but Willie, being who he was, is back on the ice within two months. The biggest problem with this happening to O'Ree, other than losing 95% of your vision, is he could not tell anyone about the injury. According to NHL rules, he would no longer be eligible to play, and O'Ree was determined to make the NHL. To compensate for his blindness while playing left wing, O'Ree had to turn his head far over his right shoulder just to be able to see the play. 
Just after one year of playing in Ontario, Ari returned to playing hockey in Quebec and was eighth in the team scoring with 22 goals and 12 assists for 34 points in the 1956-57 season. From there, Ari would go on to play two more seasons with the Aces. While playing with the Quebec Aces, Ari played on the same line with Stan Maxwell, another black Canadian. As an organization, the Aces had a history of integration. From 1949 to 1953, Herb Carnegie was a black hockey player from Toronto, and he was the star of the Aces. Carnegie had 77 goals and 121 assists for 198 points in four seasons with Quebec. As a member of Canada's Sports Hall of Fame, Carnegie was one of the best players in hockey history to have never played professionally. But that's a story for another time. In 1957-58 season, the Aces formed a working relationship with the NHL's Boston Bruins. The relationship meant that Aces players could be called up to the Bruins at any time. Then, on January 18, 1958, history was made when Willie O'Ree became the first black hockey player to play a game in the National Hockey League. Yes, O'Ree was the first black player to play in the NHL, but the time he received little to no interest as his debut wasn't mentioned in either the Boston Globe or the New York Times. One Canadian sports writer wrote that O'Ree was greeted with no emotion, no applause, and above all, no animosity. I was expecting a little more publicity, O'Ree said. The press handled it like it was another piece of everyday news. I didn't care much about publicity for myself, but... It could have have been important for other blacks with ambitions in hockey. It would have shown that a black could make it in the NHL. It was a dozen years before another black player, Mike Marson, appeared in the National Hockey League. After playing just two games for the Bruins that season, O'Ree returned to the team for the 60-61 season, where on January 1st, 1961, Willie O'Ree became the first black player to score a goal in the NHL. And wouldn't you believe it? in a 3-2 win over the Montreal Canadiens. Willie went on to score 4 goals and 10 assists for 14 points in 43 regular season games that year. While O'Ree was subjected to racist remarks by fans and some opponents, he received a warm welcome from the Bruins' teammates and management. Coach Milt Schmidt sat him down for an encouraging talk and warned him that some opponents would test him through the words and actions. I have some quotes from teammates about Willie's time with the Bruins organization. I remembered Willie and I were alone in the dressing room, sitting in front of our lockers, which were separated by 30 feet or more. I said something to Willie, and he had an odd look on his face as he started walking toward me. He got about 15 feet away and said, Oh, Monzi, it's you. I asked him if he had trouble seeing me from further away. He said he had a little eye problem and asked me not to say anything. I never even told my best friend while I was playing with Willie. Willie was a hard worker, Mon said. When he got on the ice, he always went full tilt. You could depend on him to work his hardest. I have to believe his eyesight was the real detriment. I have never gave it a thought that his short NHL career had anything to do with his color, but I never walked in his shoes, so I wouldn't know. Willie was just another guy. We got a kick out of him because he had a great sense of humor and was fun to be with. He was a real gentleman. There was a National Magazine article about Willie entitled The King of the Near Miss, talking about the number of shots he missed, recalled Bruins linemate Don McKenney. I'm sure his eye problem was the cause of that because Willie O'Ree was an excellent hockey player in every other regard, and when he switched to the off wing, his scoring took off. 
I never knew about his eye problem until recently. Willie had all the tools to make it. He was extremely fast and he had a strong shot. His race didn't mean anything to us. He was one of us, a Bruin, McKenney said. We had no trouble with that and I'm sure Willie didn't. He was with us all the time on the road. There was no black and white as far as we were concerned. I usually played left wing with Don McKinney at center, and we had several different right wings, O'Ree recalled. Don was a good hockey player. We moved the puck well. I got my fair amount of shots on goal, and Don was very helpful. He added, all the guys were very helpful. I really enjoyed playing in Boston. Coach Milt Schmidt was great, and so was general manager Lynn Patrick. There were so many good people. Whenever I see Busick, we always talk about the good old days. O'Ree lived with his cousins in the Roxbury section of Boston and commuted by subway to the garden. The fans were great, he remembers. They took to me like I was one of the Bruins and that I had played there forever. But there were dark times. There was an ugly incident in Chicago Stadium where a Blackhawk player taunted him with racial remarks and butt-ended him in the mouth, knocking out two of his teeth. O'Ree got up from the ice to fight the opposing player and the crowd nearly rioted. Police had to escort O'Ree for the building just for his own safety. Racial remarks from fans were much worse in U.S. cities than they were in Toronto or Montreal, O'Ree said. I particularly remember a few incidents in Chicago. The fans would yell, go back to the South, and how come you're not picking cotton? Things like that. It didn't bother me. Hell, I'd been called names most of my life. I just wanted to be a hockey player, and if they couldn't accept that, that was their problem, not mine. Willie's world was rocked by a midsummer phone call from a reporter asking his reaction to being traded to Montreal for Cliff Pennington and Terry Gray. O'Ree went on to tell the reporter it probably meant he was destined for the minor leagues again because Montreal just had too much talent. And, unfortunately, he was correct. Twelve games into the season, Montreal sold O'Ree's contract to the Los Angeles Blades of the Western Hockey League, and this is where Willie's story starts to go in a different direction. O'Ree spent the next 11 years with the Blades and the San Diego Gulls, leading the WHL in goals in 1964-65. Ironically, in 65-66, Pennington, who he was traded to Montreal for, became O'Ree's teammate in Los Angeles. O'Ree's hopes of returning to the NHL were dashed when he wasn't chosen by one of the six expansion teams in the 1967 expansion draft. By then, most people in hockey knew O'Ree was blind in one eye and couldn't pass the NHL's vision test. One major reason why O'Ree was able to prolong his career was because when playing for the LA Blades, his coach, Alf Pike, switched the left-handed shooting O'Ree to the right wing and he became one of the WHL's most exciting players and prolific scorers, recording 38 goals that season, a personal best. Alf may have been informed about my eye, but we didn't discuss it in great detail, O'Ree said. He asked if I ever tried right wing. He moved me over there, and I didn't have trouble seeing the puck. If I had moved over to the right wing when I was with the Bruins, I might have scored more goals and been more of an asset. In the minor leagues, O'Ree won two scoring titles in the Western Hockey League between 1961 and 1974, scoring 30 or more goals four times with a high of 38 in 1964-65 and 68-69. Willie O'Ree in 785 games recorded 328 goals and 311 assists for a total of 639 points. While only recording 14 points with the Bs, Willie was close to a point-per-game player in the WHL. 
Most of O'Ree's playing time was with the WHL's Los Angeles Blades and San Diego Gulls. His number was actually retired by the Gulls, which now hangs from the rafters at Pechanga Arena, formerly known as San Diego Sports Arena. O'Ree continued to play in the minors until the age of 43. Willie, however, was still experiencing racial taunts. One night while playing in Virginia in the 1972-73 AHL season, fans tossed cotton balls and a black cat onto the ice. Willie spent the 1972-73 season with the New Haven Nighthawks of the AHL, then returned to California where he played through 78 and 79, then taking two years off before coming back for one of the final seasons in San Diego. After a stint, there were no black players in the NHL until another Canadian player, Mike Marson, was drafted by the Washington Capitals in 1978. There were 23 black players in the NHL as of the mid-2000s, as well as last year only 43 National League players. That's less than 5% of the league itself. O'Ree began doing promotional work in 1990 for the International Hockey League San Diego Gulls. O'Ree was named the NHL's first diversity ambassador in 1996, since then, he's traveled across North America promoting the NHL and youth-level events and was particularly instrumental in pushing the league's Hockey is for Everyone program, which encourages diversity and inclusion in the sport. In 1998, O'Ree became the NHL's Director of Youth Development and Ambassador for the NHL Diversity Program. He traveled throughout North America to promote grassroots hockey programs with a focus on serving economically disadvantaged children. I feel good about being in the position I'm in, meeting people I play with and against, and talking to the players in the league now, he said. Many of them know the name Willie O'Ree. What a pleasure it's been to meet players like Boston University graduate Mike Greer and former Bruin Anson Carter, who had told me I had opened a door and made it possible for them. They know they are role models for young boys and girls playing now. These kids are now setting goals for themselves because it is possible to break that barrier. You can do what you want if you believe you can, and if you think you can, you will. Willie's programs include Learn to Skate clinics as well as youth hockey development clinics for children of multi-ethnic backgrounds. The main goal of the clinic is to increase the diversity of hockey and allow children who are unfamiliar with the sport to have a chance and try it out. The clinics also address the issue of race within the hockey community. O'Ree's personal goals are to communicate that your race can't keep you from succeeding, to share how he overcame the racism he faced during his career. The Bruins will retire Willie's number 22 on the 18th of February, 2022, this next upcoming season. 85-year-old O'Ree said he was in his backyard when he got the call from Bruins president Cam Neely informing him about the honor. I was at a loss of words there for a few seconds, O'Ree said. I'm overwhelmed and thrilled about having my Bruins jersey hung up in the rafters. O'Ree will be the 12th Bruin player to have his number retired at the Garden. He will become the third black player to have his number retired by an NHL team, following Grant Fuhrer of the Edmonton Oilers and Jerome McGinley of the Calgary Flames. The NHL has already honored O'Ree this season with helmet decals worn by players through the end of February, which of course is Black History Month. The decals feature O'Ree in his signature fedora along with the words, Celebrating Equality. While it's been 40 years since he hung up his skates, O'Ree said he isn't dwelling on the timing of his latest recognition. It possibly could have come sooner, he said. Sometimes 
things take a little longer. In 2003, O'Ree was named the Lester Patrick Trophy winner for his outstanding service to hockey in the United States. In 2010, O'Ree received the Order of Canada for his outstanding service to the youth development and promoting hockey within North America. O'Ree also received the Order of New Brunswick and was named an honored member of the New Brunswick Sports Hall of Fame, where he was inducted in 1984. And long overdue, in 2018, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The 2007-2008 season marked the 50th anniversary of O'Ree's NHL debut with the Bruins. The upcoming 2022-2023 season will be 65 years since the Jackie Robinson of hockey first pulled on the spoked B. A lot of fans like myself and social media personalities around the league are pushing for a congressional gold medal for Willie O'Ree who is already enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame and would solidify Willie's well-deserved place in American history. Make sure you hashtag, hashtag Willie for gold, and don't forget to tag your members of Congress. So there you have it, folks. William O'Ree, the Jackie Robinson of hockey. I would love for everyone else to go out there and do their own research on Willie O'Ree and anything that I might have missed. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed that part of the podcast. Uh, it was it was honestly an honor just to research this guy and look into like where he came from, why he became a Bruin. First of all, why he became the first black hockey player to ever play. Like his accomplishments just put you in awe. And uh, like I said, I'm honored that he was a Boston Bruin, let alone the first black hockey player. And I hope the diversity of the sport and hockey is for everyone can grow into more ethnic communities around the world and give opportunity to just people who deserve it. All right, so here we go. Playoff matchup against the Washington Capitals. It looks like that's who we're going to be playing since we clinched third place in the division tonight against the Islanders with the 3-2 win in over overtime with Hall's sweet, sweet dish. So what do you think about facing Washington? We all saw what happened with Wilson and ripping Panarin's head to the ground, the no penalty. We saw it earlier in the year when he went completely headhunting against Carlo and almost took his head off. So what are, what are you thinking against the Washington Capitals round one? Are we going to do a prediction? Why not? Okay. Um, I think I got Boston going in five, and this is why. Personally, I think I don't think Washington's been playing the best hockey lately. Against them this year, we have four wins, one loss, and two overtime losses. We took majority of the points. Um, we have a point seven one four winning percentage against them. The goal differential twenty five goals for twenty two against. It's pretty much a wash at that point. I do think we have the edge in goaltending with Tuukka Rask. Um, they have a little bit of a better defensive core than we do. One that's been together a little longer and uh, can trust each other a little more. But ever since the trade deadline, our forward group is so deep that like, I I don't see us having the problem that we've had in the past where we just can't score goals in the playoffs. Yeah. What do you think? What's your prediction? I think Washington will definitely be more of a challenge than, any of the other teams that we've played, like they have Ovechkin and Carlson, Oshie. 
They have Ovechkin, who always seems to snipe goals, who they seem to leave unattended a lot of the time. They have Oshie, they have Backstrom. So I definitely think they have a decently stacked team, but I don't think it compares to what we have right now. And I always had a good feeling about this team this year winning the cup. So, so your cup or bust, eh? I feel pretty confident. I honestly feel more confident in this team than I did in 2019. See, and that was the year that I was like, they're going to win the cup. Yeah. 100%. And we all know that. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest problems with that 2019 year is even the whole playoff run, we had a lot of trouble scoring goals. Toronto gave us a very tough match up in the first round. It went to seven games. We got beat up in that. And then... Like go, going in every round after that, we had no problem scoring against Carolina in the Eastern Conference final. But we've always kind of had Carolina's number there for the past couple of years. Don't get me wrong, this year is probably going to be different since they were first in the league for durations of uh, the season this year. But I don't know. I just I have a lot of faith in this team. Taylor Hall looks like he's just like a jackrabbit out there. Mm-hmm. He's like a, injected a spark plug into this lineup right now. And it's, it, I have a hard time thinking that Washington and their unexperienced goalies are going to take us down in the first round. Yeah. But another thing that I take into consideration always being a Boston Bruins fan are the refs. Yeah. (laughs) Because I feel like they're biased and going back to the 2019 St. Louis Boston playoffs. That was just brutal. Yeah. And you know, it's it's tough no matter what against the refs in the playoffs. They start they either let the game go or they call it a little tighter. You know, it there's no it's no yeah, there's, there's no black standard. and white. There's yes. no in between. Yeah, there's no standard. So I don't know. I'm excited for the playoffs start. Um I don't know what's gonna be happening yet just because of the whole Canada like sorry, the North division and uh what's going on with that. I don't know. We're gonna. We could be a week out here before we see any playoff games. Tomorrow night is the game against Washington. Um, I don't know. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be good playoffs. I think I have a lot. I have a lot of hope in this team right now. I feel like it'll be a good playoff season too. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, you want to wrap it up? Sure. All right. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to listen to the first episode of the Beehive Podcast. Stay tuned. Follow me on Twitter at the Beehive, and you can follow Alex on Twitter at Alexa Goyette, G O Y E T T E. And uh, let's keep this thing growing and let's have some fun with it, guys. So, thank you again for listening. Um, hashtag Willie for Gold. And uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Love you guys. Is that good?